0: with you, you can open to Matthew chapter 6, look at verses 9 and 10 this morning, the text is also printed on the next page of the bulletin for you, Matthew 6. Um, So, um, Karl Barth, uh, who's a German theologian, uh, said some good things, said some interesting things. Um, he said uh, one of the interesting uh, and good, I think, things that he said was uh, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. To clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. Uh, I'm sure you've noticed, all of you, that uh, this world is in disorder, <laughs> disarray. It's broken, right? Um, all kinds of things are wrong with our families, um, uh, with our relationships, all kinds of things are wrong with our environment. And if we're honest at all, uh, you know, all kinds, all kinds of things are wrong with ourselves. Um, and apart from God, humankind's best attempts to bring order out of the chaos, uh, to, to fix things and set things right, um, our best attempts end up being superficial or oppressive or um, fleeting or just playing insufficient. We cannot fix the world's problems on our own because doing things on our own is the root of the world's problems. Um, Our pursuit of autonomy from God, our our pursuit of self-rule out from underneath his authority is the essence of the brokenness. So if things are going to be set back right uh, in order for uh, true peace to be restored. Uh, if the foundations of the world are going to be healed, then God is the only one who can do it. Uh, and we have to trust him to do it, because we can't do it on our, uh, on our own, right? And that dependence, that trust, and that desire for the complete restoration of the world is reflected in the petition of the Lord's Prayer that we're looking at this morning. So let's, um, let's pray, and then we'll read the scripture. Our Father, we're here to learn as Jesus would teach us to pray. We're here to learn to pray like children, with love and dependence and enthusiasm in our hearts. And so we pray that you would help us to pray, that you would teach us to pray that you would send your spirit to shape our minds and our hearts so that we can truly pray as Jesus taught us. And we pray it for the sake of your kingdom. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. So when we pray for God's kingdom to come, which is uh, what we're looking at this morning, we've been going through a, a series on the Lord's Prayer, phrase by phrase, and your kingdom come is uh, what we're looking at this morning. When we pray for that, we're praying for God to rule. Uh, the theme of God's kingdom, of God's rule, God's reign is found everywhere in the Bible in the scriptures from, um, from the beginning to the end. We see the unfolding revelation of God's plan to establish His rule on earth. We see it, uh, it starts off in our uh, Old Testament reading from Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And how did He do it? It said, God said, Let there be light. And there was light. All right. So by the power of His Word, He brought all things into existence, the heaven, uh, the heavens and the seas and the earth as the realms of creation and then the stars and the creatures and the, uh, the humans as the inhabitants or rulers of these uh, realms, these domains. <clears throat> and he declared it, in the end, uh, all to be very good. Everything was doing what it was supposed to do. Right? Uh, all things worked together in harmony according to their created purpose. And in Genesis 2, as we read earlier, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Um, Maybe it's a strange picture, seeing God rest from his work. Uh, It's not a picture of God being tired from hard labor. After all, he had created all things by the power of his word. He had spoken things into existence, and that doesn't usually fatigue uh, people very much, uh, let alone God, right? Uh, so it's not a picture of him being tired, needing a rest, right? It's a, it's a picture at the completion of creation, the seventh day, right? That, that, um, that number seven shows up throughout the scriptures as this symbol of completion. At the completion of his work of creation, God sat down, in authority and approval of all that he had made. It's a picture of God as the rightful king of the beautiful universe. And humans were meant to rule the earth under his authority. We were never meant for autonomy. We were made to flourish in God's kingdom under his rule. He gave everything into our hands for cultivation and delight And he exercised his kingly rule over us by his word. It says, uh, if you continue in Genesis chapter 2, uh, verses 15 through 17, it says, The Lord God, Yahweh, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. This is a garden that God had planted. And Yahweh commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So he was ruling man by his word. And for a while, everything was great, right? The world was friendly. Work was pleasant. Marriage was unbelievably good. And then we broke it by our rebellion. If you uh, look at the beginning of your... um, Your booklet, um, your worship order, there's a quote there by Tim Chester. Kind of work through that a little bit. Uh, Tim Chester wrote a really great book called From Creation to New Creation. And he says this Humankind rejects God's rule. But notice how this is done. The serpent encourages the woman to doubt God's word and then deny God's word. So in Genesis 3, the serpent said to the woman, Did did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, You'll surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. All right, so he tempts the woman to doubt and to deny God's word. The word by which God ruled the world in peace and prosperity. And he tempts the woman by painting God's authority, his kingship, as oppressive and deceptive. Right? God's just power hungry. God's just holding you down. He is not out for your good. If you're going to really get what's good for you, you're going to have to strike out on your own and take it for yourself. Right? The devil was the first promoter of human autonomy, and um, yeah, he's our biggest fan. So um, so we became suspicious of God's intentions regarding our welfare uh, We began to to disbelieve his word. We shucked off his authority. We took matters into our own hands, and everything broke. Everything became difficult and painful. The world became hostile to us. Work became a burden. Marriage was shot through with conflict in all of our relationships. And rather than ruling over the world under his authority, as we were meant to be, instead the world has revolted against us animals attack us microscopic organisms can kill us even plants rule us like poppies and worst of all a, a gaping chasm opened up between god and humanity adam and eve were driven out of eden forbidden from god's presence god's curse rested upon the whole world because of our rebellion. And to continue with that quote from Tim Chester there, not only has the serpent got humankind to reject God's rule, he's redefined the whole notion of rule. The rule of God was a rule of love, peace, freedom, blessing, and life. The serpent portrays it as oppressive and tyrannical. And we have modeled human rule in the image of the serpent's lie. We think of rule as oppressive because human rule is so often oppressive. Now the world has no real concept of rule, how it was meant to be, because we can only see authority now in light that the devil has put it for us. If we're able to grab power, we take it. And we abuse it. Just like we suspected God was really doing. And if we have to submit to power, it crushes us, just like you'd expect. And everything is broken. So Cain killed his brother. Abraham sold his wife into a harem to protect himself, twice. Jacob emotionally abandoned his rightful wife, Leah. Judah enjoyed chauvinistic double standards with regard to Tamar. Potiphar's wife, um, who had authority over Joseph, imprisoned Joseph on a lie because he denied her her lusts. The people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt for 430 years, and then when Moses came and, and delivered them miraculously, they started to grumble and complain and be suspicious of his authority. Israel's judges and kings abused their power. David stole loyal Uriah's wife and then had Uriah killed. Solomon used his privileged position for wealth and for women. And his son, Rehoboam, increased the oppression of the people. And then his brother, Jeroboam, and he tore the kingdom apart in a power struggle. Still today, tyrants crush their own people for decades And oppressed people rise up in bloody revolts to cast off their evil yokes. Husbands beat and threaten and neglect their wives, and they even abuse the Bible's own authority to be able to do so, to justify that. And women become distrustful of men and spite them. Parents control their children's lives. Children grow up to hate them, and then those children turn right around and do the same thing with their children. People kidnap and enslave one another by force. Police overstep their bounds. Coaches abuse their positions. And victims become unable to love and trust and enjoy healthy relationships. All of our relationships are broken at some level because we've believed The serpents lie that God's rule is bad news for us. And because we've patterned our own autonomy, our own rule, our self-rule, after the oppressiveness of this distorted image of authority, of his kingdom. And we can't fix it. We can't get out of this mess on our own because doing things on our own is uh, the root of the problem. As long as we pursue autonomy from God... Autonomy from his kingdom, then we have no hope for peace or for restoration. And to finish that quote from Tim Chester, the Bible is the story of God reestablishing his rule, his rule that brings life, salvation, peace, and justice. Right? As long as we continue in our autonomy, we're in trouble. We have no hope. But God has been at work throughout history. To reestablish his kingdom. D.A. Carson says this. Throughout the Old Testament, there was a rising expectation of a divine visitation that would establish justice and renew the very universe. So In the beginning, God created and ruled through his word. And when we rejected his word and rebelled against his rule, he did not remain silent. He continued to send forth his word to reestablish his rule. Through the prophets, he spoke words of promise, words of restoration and hope that his kingdom would prevail. The kingdom of God would be established on earth once again, and the government of it would rest on the shoulders of God's anointed one, the Messiah. And of his authority and his rule, there would be no end. His throne would endure forever. It was promised for hundreds of years, until one day an angel told a little girl, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So the divine Son of God came into the world as a man, Jesus, and he demonstrated his complete authority over all things. By his word, he ruled the elements, calmed stormy seas and high winds. By his word, he conquered the spiritual forces of darkness, casting out demons. By his word, he healed illnesses and deformities and paralysis. By his word, he restored the dead to life. By his word, he won over the hearts of sinful broken people. By his word, he forgave sins, which only God has the authority to do. By the power of his word, he showed that he rules the world. And what he was doing with that power was fixing broken things. In a sense, the kingdom has come because the king himself has come. And instead of his rule being oppressive and deceptive, like we've all believed for so long, we have seen that his rule is for our good. He's fixing broken things. Instead of lording it over us, Jesus came to heal us and to save us. He said in Mark chapter 10 about himself, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The king of glory became a humble servant. Really, that, that is to say he became a slave, the king. And he went willingly to his own death on a brutal cross for love. And it was there on the cross that Jesus, the word of God, completely redefined the nature of authority, or rather reestablished the true divine nature of authority. Paul said in Colossians chapter 2 about Jesus, he is the head of all rule and authority. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them by the cross. It was the greatest exercise, it was the truest demonstration of his kingship to lay down his life for our good at the cross. His authority is unlike anything that we would expect because the serpent's lie has so totally shaped our thinking about authority. His authority is one of service. It's one of self-giving. It's one of sacrifice and care. His kingdom is a beautiful kingdom. It's like a precious hidden treasure. His rule is a gracious one. And the goal of his rule is the complete restoration of all things. He's already begun to set things right. His kingdom has invaded this broken world. And as the king, he commands you to repent and happily submit to his rule. He said... The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news of his gracious rule. Believe that the true divine king has your best in mind. Stop believing the lie that God is a tyrant. He has given the life of his own beloved son for you. Give up your autonomy and submit to him. Depend on him for your renewal and for your restoration, for the renewal and restoration of the whole world. His kingdom has come, and his kingdom comes when Jesus rules in your heart, when you live out the values of his kingdom, love and sacrifice, service, generosity, humility, compassion, and justice. These are things that only he can work in us by his grace which is why Jesus teaches us to pray for God's kingdom to come. You need to turn to your father king in prayer and say, Lord, I've believed lies about you and by nature, I hate your rule, but I believe in some small way that you're out for my good and that your kingdom is what this whole world needs. Please help me to want your authority in my life. Please overcome my resistance to your rule. Please help me to submit to you and give up my autonomy. Deliver me from the rule of sin. Please help me to live out the values of your kingdom. Make my heart and my mind your realm, your domain. Make my hands and lips to be at your service, Please establish your good and gracious rule in the hearts of my friends and family. Advance your kingdom through the preaching of your gospel. Use whatever authority that you've given me to reflect your authority. And make me humble as I live out underneath the authority of others as a testimony to your grace. And please, Father, may your kingdom come soon. Come, Lord Jesus and fully establish your peace on earth. We long for the day when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ forever. Hasten the day of your return and make me ready for that day. When we pray as Jesus taught us, Father, your kingdom come, we're asking for him to win our trust, to win our allegiance, win our submission, which he does by the word of his grace gospel, right? He still rules through his word, and that word is good news for people like us. Thomas Watson uh, said this, keep close to the word preached. The word preached is the rod of God's strength. It is the great engine he uses for setting up the kingdom of grace in the heart. And this is the word of God. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to the resurrected Jesus. He has taken his great power and he has begun to reign by sending messengers to the four winds to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor on his behalf. Good news to the poor. Liberty to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. Colossians 1. Again, Paul says, God has delivered us from the domain, from the power, from the authority of darkness, and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. So we now live in the kingdom of grace, and we look forward with anticipation to the kingdom of glory. And one day his kingdom will explode into this world with the thunder of trumpets, and everything will be made whole again. When the king returns, there will be a new beginning. There will be peace and friendship everywhere. No more pain. No more enmity. No more death. Our bodies will be made immortal and strong and glorious. Our work will radiate with dignity and joy. And our relationships, all of them, will be pure intimacy. Jesus said about it, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. So we're not left in the dark guessing what the future holds. We know how things will be and we want that to happen because it is our only hope in this broken world. And we know that it's true that one day his kingdom will come and be established here on earth forever. We know it's true because our Lord Jesus. The good king, the one who died for us, has been raised from the dead. He's been, uh, he has ascended into glory where he rules over all things for the sake of his people. The resurrection confirms his everlasting authority, that good authority. And it guarantees the ultimate triumph of his kingdom. And now, by his grace, we have a direct line to the king himself, day or night, And he tells us that he is always delighted to hear from us his subjects. What kind of king is this? It's the kind that makes you want to pray, your kingdom come. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we've believed uh, lies for so long about authority, and we've implemented these lies in our own lives in our relationships for so long that we have no hope apart from you, apart from your grace, your miraculous work of your spirit in our lives using your word to shape us and change us, to fashion us after the likeness of the true king, Jesus. And so we pray that your kingdom would come in our hearts and in our relationships, in the hearts of those that we care about, We pray that your kingdom would come and overwhelm all the kingdoms of this earth so that we would have true peace and wholeness. It's something that only you can do, and we long for that day when you finally do it. And we pray that until that day comes, you would help us to live in light of that day, that your kingdom would increasingly break forth into this world now in our lives. Through your gospel, through your word, rule over us, Fill our lives with your kingdom now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.